You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. It's a solemn time, Anzac Day, and uh, it's a fairly solemn message I've got for you this morning too. So. The world's full of charlatans, deceivers and con men who want to fleece the gullible and the unsuspecting and or the desperate of their money. We've all heard horror stories of dodgy builders or shonky market, marketing schemes and maybe some of, some of us have even fallen victim to them. <clears throat> We've all, I'm sure, received emails offering to make us wealthy if we just help this African prince get his money out of the country. Or phone calls, a popular one at the moment. Phone calls telling us that the tax department is about to suspend our tax number because we owe them money. And the solution is, of course, to ring that number straight away to sort out the problem. They're all charlatans looking to get rich off your fears or off of your misfortune. They all promise more than they have any intention of delivering. And sometimes people get sucked in so far that the only way out seems to be to pay a bit more money to get that promised solution. Rare, it seems, is the scammer who gets caught and refunds the money. The old adage still holds true. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Now, it's sad to hear these stories of people getting fleeced by these predators, these charlatans. It makes us Angry, as it rightly should, both at the predator for wreaking such havoc on an unsuspecting person. It also makes us angry at the person who's so naive that they got sucked in by it. <clears throat> They're terrible things, these scams. But at worst, they'll only cost you your earthly wealth. Falling for the lies of religious deceivers could cost you your eternal soul. Now we can't afford to be too smug and complacent about this. We may not be as immune to these charlatans as we like to think we are. We too can get sucked in by schemes that promise more than they're able to deliver. But before I get to that, let's open up our Bibles, John chapter 7, and look at our text for today. Starting in verse 1 of John 7, After this Jesus went about in Galilee, He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may also see the work you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be openly known. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He's a good man. Others said, No, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. There's an early example of cancel culture for you. 
Jesus, as always, is a polarising figure. He still polarises today. Some are fascinated by him. Some demonise him. In the crowd that day, there were both types. As some other translations put verse 12, the CEV puts it, some were saying Jesus is a good man, while others were saying he's lying to everyone. The New Living Translation says some argued he's a good man, but others said he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. And the message says some are saying he's a good man, but others said not so, he's selling snake oil. The good man part we Christians can understand. We see that in every aspect of his life. Even unbelievers acknowledge that Jesus was a good man. If ever there was a good man, it was Jesus. But not everyone felt that way about him. He's a liar, he's a fraud, he's leading the people astray. If these critics are right, Jesus is a much more serious threat than all of the scam artists of our modern day. For that makes Jesus a religious scam artist. For he's asking for far more than mere money. Jesus is asking for your devotion, your service, your submission your worship. He's asking for your eternal soul. Now there's at least four types of religious deceivers and they're all dangerous charlatans. Let me say up front, Jesus is none of them. But I want to look at two of them today and the other two next week because sadly these charlatans are all too common in our churches today. The Jews had a long history of being led astray by false prophets, by those who promised more than they could give. In fact, false prophets were so popular that some of the kings kept them on staff because they didn't like what the real prophets had to say. King Ahab is a case in point. He asked King Jehoshaphat to go to war with him against his enemies. Now Jehoshaphat was a bit smarter. He wouldn't go without a word from the Lord. So Ahab called his prophets in, 400 of them in all, to hear a word from the Lord about their prospects of success. And the prophets came back unanimously. Go attack them, they all said. This is in First Kings 22. Go attack them because the Lord will drop them right into the king's hands. One of the prophets even made iron horns and said, this is what the Lord says, you will gore the Arameans with these until they are finished off. That's pretty convincing, you'd think. 400 prophets unanimously saying the same thing. It wasn't very long ago we had huge numbers of prophets in America all saying the same thing about Donald Trump's re-election. Hmm. Jehoshaphat wasn't convinced. He asked Ahab, isn't there a prophet of the Lord here who we could talk to? Ahab replied, there is still one man left by whom we could ask the Lord what to do. How tragic is it that there's one man left amongst hundreds who is a true prophet? And Ahab knew it. But I hate him, Ahab said, because he never prophesies anything good about me. Instead, he prophesies evil. It's a telling comment. I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me. Human nature hasn't changed. We still prefer prophets who promise what we want to hear. Think back to the last big Christian conference or rally you went to or the last TV evangelist 
you watched? What did you hear them say? What did the prophet declare? You're going to be blessed, hallelujah. The Lord is going to give you the desires of your heart. Glory to God. You'll be blessed in your city and blessed in your country. Nothing and no one can come against you. You're going to prosper at the Lord's right hand. Does that sound familiar? Or instead, did you hear that speaker proclaim, you're going to be persecuted. Praise God. You're going to be hated and spat on and beaten and jailed. You're going to be rejected by your contemporaries and vilified by everyone. You'll face opposition in the city and enemies in the country. And you may never see the fruit of your labours. Hallelujah. Is that what you heard them say? I don't think so. I don't ever remember hearing a prophecy like that. Yet that was often the message that the true prophets had for God's people. And that was the message that Micaiah finally gave Ahab too, after a bit of coaxing. But it wasn't the message that Ahab wanted to hear. Micaiah replied in 1 Kings 22.17, I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord told me, these have no master, so let each of them return to his own home in peace. Then the king of Israel told Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he would only prophesy evil against me and not any good? But Micaiah responded, therefore listen to what the Lord has to say. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and the entire heavenly army was standing around him on his right hand and on his left hand. And the Lord asked, Who will tempt King Ahab of Israel to attack Ramoth Gilead so that he will die there? And one was saying one thing and another was saying another. Then the spirit approached, stood in front of the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord asked him, How? I will go, he announced, and I'll be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets. So the Lord said, you're just the one to deceive him. You'll be successful. Go and do it. Now, therefore, listen, Micaiah says, the Lord has placed a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours because the Lord has determined to bring disaster upon you. Ahab didn't want to hear the truth. You'd think Ahab would have learned his lesson ten years before when Elijah challenged all his prophets to a duel. And all the prophets failed that challenge and Elijah had hundreds of them put to death for their idolatry. But human nature hasn't changed in the nearly 3,000 years since King Ahab. So we don't seem to learn the lesson either. Now, I won't get into the theology of this word from Micaiah, but it's a chilling thought that the Lord himself would send prophets to deceive the people so that they would face disaster. That might be worth keeping in mind, in the back of your mind, the next time you're listening to some of the modern day prophets. Paul warned us about false prophets and lying teachers in his second letter to Timothy. And I'm convinced we live in such a time as Paul talked about. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers 
to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. A prophet for hire is only ever going to tell you what you want to hear. That's why you'll so rarely hear prophecies of doom or of judgment for sin from Christian pulpits today. Who's going to give money to a prophet who tells them bad news? Who's going to follow a leader who demands from them what they don't want to give or don't want to give up? Talk about deceivers and charlatans. Modern Christianity is rife with them. And what should we do with them? The Old Testament punishment is harsh. But even if the punishment no longer applies, surely the standard still holds true. Deuteronomy 13.1 tells us, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign and wonder, and the sign and wonder that he tells you, to, tells you comes to pass. Now this is a miracle that has actually come true, or a prophecy that's come true. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. That's the same troubling idea that we saw in Micaiah's prophecy. The Lord your God is testing you, to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In verse 6 it says, Even if it's your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or your wife, or your friend who entices you away, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him. But what should you do? You shall kill him. You shall kill him. That's how serious this is of false prophets. Your hand shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. So how can we test this enticer, this prophet? Deuteronomy 18.20 tells us, The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word of the Lord that the word of the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. That is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. At least Ahab's prophets, even though they were wrong, were precise about what would happen. Not like so much modern prophecy that's so vague as to be meaningless. It's a Christianised version of the Sunday paper horoscope. You can read whatever you like into it. And then, of course, it'll come true because it's what you like. And how many prophecies have you heard in Christian circles that haven't come true? I've heard more of this rubbish than I care to count. And it never seems to occur to these so-called prophets to apologise or correct themselves for failed prophecies. Have you ever noticed that? It's a rare thing indeed for one of these so-called prophets to have the decency to repent and apologise for misleading people. 
Most brush it off and go on to the next prophecy as if nothing ever happened. It never seems to occur to them that maybe they should shut their mouths before they speak, not after. But why would they? The sheep are always clamouring for more. One of the beauties of modern Christianity, and I say beauty sarcastically, is that it no longer matters if what you say is true. It only matters that you have spoken. The act of speaking demonstrates your exceptional faith. The accuracy of the message matters not. It has become more important to demonstrate our faith than it is to speak a true word. You want to know if that's true? Go to one of the school of the prophets that a lot of churches are running nowadays and see how they teach you to prophesy. Pray first, then speak the first thing that comes to mind. If it's wrong, don't worry about it. You're just still learning. You'll get better. But even a blind man will hit a dartboard occasionally if he throws enough darts at it. Do we assume that the blind man can see because he hits the board one time in a hundred? Or should that be proof to us that he can't see? Should we call them prophets just because one of their vague prophecies comes true one time in a hundred? Or does that actually reveal that they are anything but prophets? The Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter 1, we have the prophetic word made more certain. The standard for prophecy in the Old Testament was absolute accuracy and precise fulfilment. Peter says in New Testament times, we have that prophetic word made more certain. How do you have a more certain word than an absolutely correct and precise and accurate word? But that's the standard that the modern prophets should be held to. I wonder how many prophets would last beyond their next utterance if that was the standard we demanded of them. And I wonder how Elijah would deal with them. How many of the modern day prophets would be willing to go five or ten rounds in the ring with Elijah? How many of them would survive? Now, most of them are deceivers, feeding off the adulation and the finances and the gullibility of people. Friends, we really should be more discerning and we should be more demanding about what we hear. These people are nothing but frauds and charlatans that deceive the people. You want to hear a word from God? There's only one place to go to hear a trustworthy word from God, to find words that will never deceive, will never lead astray. Second Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. You want a word from God? Scripture is breathed out by God. That's where you'll find a word from God that you can count on. It's straight from God's mouth. And it's been tested by thousands of generations of people and thousands of generations of history. You wonder which part 
of Scripture is the most important. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Every word of it. I'll deal quickly with the other example of deceivers. I've mentioned in the past about how one of the churches we attended was ripped apart by some of the leaders. One of those leaders was a good friend of mine. In fact, their whole family were good friends of ours. We frequently shared meals with them on a weekly basis at least. But I remember this man telling us once when we were sitting around having a meal about some ministry he was doing with some of the members of the church. And he made the comment, I've got these silly people eating out of the palm of my hand. I was horrified by it. I'm horrified today by it. But to my shame, I let it slide and never challenged him about it, never challenged him that his arrogance. And it wasn't long after that that the church was destroyed. He hurt many friends and many innocent people. His marriage was destroyed and his wife left him. The pastor's marriage was destroyed. Another marriage was destroyed too. The last I heard, the pastor's wife and another married woman were fighting for this deceiver's affection and attention. Jesus warned about this. He said in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You'll recognise them by their fruits. Paul said the same thing. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The fruit of this man's life reveals exactly what he was. He's nothing but a fraud and a charlatan who deceives the people. I've given two examples of religious deceivers today. I've witnessed both of them and more in action at various times and in different churches. And I've seen the damage they do. I've seen the hurt they cause people. I've seen good friends who I thought would know better get sucked in by this rubbish. I can't stress how desperately important it is that we have our wits about us, that we're discerning about what we hear from Christian pulpits and fellow Christians or people who claim to be Christians. Your spiritual health, your eternal life depends on it. Many people who encountered Jesus thought that he was a prophet. He was a prophet like Moses, only greater. And he is. He is the true prophet. He is greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived. And how different is he to these wolves in sheep's clothing? Their delight is to savage the flock, to abuse it, to tear the flesh off as many of the sheep as they can, to lead them into sin and to destruction. They cause havoc and pain wherever they go. And they do it all to feed their own egos. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. There truly is no comparison 
between Jesus Christ and these deceivers. They'll get their just rewards one day. They will have to stand before the throne of the Almighty God and give account for the misery they've caused and for every soul that they've destroyed. Not so with Jesus. When he stands before the throne of God, it's to present those he purchased with his own blood. Hebrews 2, verse 9 tells us, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children that God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Is Jesus a good man? Yes. He's the only good man. But he's more than that. He's the God-man. He's God in the flesh. Is he a fraud, a deceiver, selling snake oil to the gullible people? It's hard to see given that what Jesus offers is not very appealing to most people. His words, though, ring true. And he protects his flock. He is no charlatan. Friends, we really should be embarrassed and ashamed of ourselves that we so easily get sucked in to trusting false prophets and voracious wolves. It's not like we haven't been warned over and over again in the scriptures. But I guess when you stop reading your Bibles, when you stop believing the Bible is sufficient to guide your life, then you'll be looking for guidance from somewhere else. It's built into most of us. We want some sort of direction. So we'll seek it from those who claim that they speak words of God. We have enough voices in secular society trying to undermine our faith already and to destroy the church. They're usually pretty easy to spot though. The most dangerous voices are the ones that come from inside the church. They will tear you apart spiritually, if not emotionally and financially and relationally, if you're not discerning, if you don't know your Bibles. Why would you listen to liars and deceivers and charlatans when Jesus Christ offers exactly what you need and he offers it for free? He is totally reliable. He never goes back on his word. If you've been enticed by false prophets and lying teachers, 
First thing you need to do is repent of being so foolish, so gullible, and then turn back to the true prophet. Turn back to the true word and the true shepherd, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've been wounded by wolves, and many have in the church today, he offers you healing. Just ask him to patch up the wounds and restore you to emotional and spiritual health. It's his specialty. For everyone else, commit yourself today to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And be thankful that he saved you from deception. And he is able to keep you safe to the very end. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.